Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. America's longest-running talk show on computers. It's Computer America, bringing you the biggest names in technology with guest interviews, new products, and your emails. Listen live at ComputerAmerica.com on any device around the world. Email the show at live at ComputerAmerica.com or find us on social media. Be sure to check out our website for contests, giveaways, show notes, live video stream, podcasts, and more. You're listening to Computer America. Hello and welcome into the Computer America Show. We are the nation's longest running nationally syndicated radio talk show on computers and technology. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Ben Crossman, and I hope all of you had a fantastic weekend and are ready for some Computer America. So today on the program, uh, in the second part of the show, we will be doing uh, computer and technology news where we talk about all of the latest and greatest tech news that has been piling up since we last talked. And those can include stories such as, uh, you know, what's been happening happening over in Egypt when it comes to the censorship focused uh let's see censorship focused cybercrime bill that they just passed and you know we're really going to dig into that also uh for all of you graphics cards nerds uh Nvidia released all of their specs and man there's a lot to go over there they had a great keynote uh around noon today so yep hopefully some of you caught that and also, we're going to be talking about, well, Google and uh, what's the whole deal with the uh, location history that uh, they're currently being sued for. So, and also, hey, you know, you're probably a part of that as well. But all that and more computer technology news later on in the program. But in the first segment, we always dedicate it to a guest, and we have a great guest joining us here today where we will be talking to EnableSoft, makers of a program called Foxtrot. So to tell us all about what they do, how they do it, is the CEO of the company, and we'll get them on in just a moment. But uh, a couple of things, including ComputerAmerica.com, that's where you'll find everything from a link to our guest website to any articles that we talk about. Everything will be in one place. So if you're driving, if you're busy, don't worry, we got you covered. Uh, also, while you're there, be sure to check out the social media contest brought to you by Logitech and uh, give away a prize every single Friday live on the air uh, and the live video stream, which is, uh, yeah, 
hey, you know, which is just a Today Show. We're still a radio show, but if you feel like you want to watch us, uh, we certainly make that available and we're improving it all the time. All right. So morning announcements done. Let's go ahead and get into our conversation today. So as I said before, EnableSoft, they are, you know, they're makers of the software known as Foxtrot. And uh, hey, we're going to be talking about well, productivity and more. So joining us is Richard Milam. He is the CEO for the company. And Richard, how are you doing? Welcome on to Computer America. I'm great, Ben. Thanks for having us on. Our pleasure, our pleasure. So yeah, you guys have been around for a number of years. I think I read like 90, 1996 or something like that. Uh, you know, plenty of time to, uh, to evolve and change. But uh, if you could give us a bit of background on, uh, you know, on EnableSoft for those of us who have not heard of the company and uh, a bit about yourself, where you, you know, did you, uh, you know, have you always uh, been into technology and how did you come to work with EnableSoft? Well, EnableSoft is, a, is the creator of what's now called robotic process automation, uh, at least the earliest creator. We've been doing this for more than 23 years. Well, what is robotic process automation? Is that like a physical robot? No, it's software that operates other software. We developed it to help financial institutions migrate data uh, from acquired savings and loans in the 90s when all those were shut down overnight through the... Uh, the government taking away goodwill, uh, what they called goodwill, and people were having to key in names and addresses uh, and account information to get that data uh, into their banking system, if you can believe that. And uh, I was running around with a banker. My background is engineering and, and computer science, and I actually worked for the guy that invented the automated teller machine. I put those systems in. I sold bank software. And then I found myself running around with a banker helping solve business problems in the back room. And um, uh, so people, really, you'd walk into a bank and you'd literally see a, a boardroom with a dozen PCs and people sitting there with green bar reports keying in names and addresses. It was, it was brutal. And um, uh, so I started prototyping. Actually, it was on Beale Street in Memphis where I came up with the, the product and the idea, having uh, worked on a bank conversion there. Mm -hmm. And um, it turns out that there are uh, all kinds of manual processes everywhere where people need to get data in and out of computers or websites or operate Excel spreadsheets. And, and, and people just, believe it or not, just get that done manually. They're having pizza parties on the weekends, say if a if a, if a bank had a data breach and thousands of credit cards need to be reissued, people just manually brute force key that stuff in. Well, there's a better way to do it now uh, with robotic process automation. And robotic process automation is simply um, a, a tool that allows you to create a story, in our case, to tell um, the computer what to do to, to emulate what a person would do to do a manual process. And and data can be manipulated and migrated and interact. You can interact with multiple systems, automate sending re emails, automate operating spreadsheets. And so now this uh, robotic process automation industry is becoming very huge, very fast. There's probably maybe, according to one of the research, large research companies, maybe 20 or so real, real uh, pure 
RPA uh, players in the in the world, um, you it is replacing offshoring where they send these manual processes overseas to be handled by low wage workers, mm-hmm. and uh, virtually all the Fortune 500 companies are now using it to automate. Uh, um, manual processes and liberate people to do more human, you know, right. uh, subject matter expert work. So, and a lot of those customers are our customers. We have uh, a large number of banks, a third of the largest, 1,000 in the United States, and five of the 15 biggest, uh, 40 or so major healthcare companies, and another dozen industries uh, represented in our customer base. So that's a lot in a short period of time. No, no, and uh, and obviously you explained that very well. But I, I mean, Richard, have you ever you know kind of sat there and thought of how many man hours that you probably personally have saved, you know, creating software such as this, and you know, working with ATMs before that? I mean, just the amount of actual like human effort that you have circumvented, uh, very impressive so far. Well, Ben, I, you know, I always believed in the human capability to be creative and solve their own problems. And if you give them the right tools, give, give humans the right tools, uh, as, it, as it was the case with spreadsheets, I believe it's the same generation that, uh, with this robotic process automation. They will figure out ways to get get stuff done. Right. Right. So let's go ahead and drill down a little bit further as you know, uh, this is essentially the business that you're in, but I believe the product that you're actually uh, here to talk about is called Foxtrot. So if you give us a bit of background about Foxtrot, has that been available since you guys started? Um, and you know, kind of what are, what, what is Foxtrot in relation to EnableSoft? Foxtrot is our, um, one and only product, essentially. There's different ways it's deployed and, and named, but Foxtrot has been around for over 20 years. It has obviously evolved. When it started out, it was only operating the, the green screen <clears throat> terminal emulator software that you'd see it like uh, in major uh, wholesaler stores and things like that. Maybe, and it had to evolve to handle Windows and, and Internet Explorer and other browsers, uh, and um, Windows platforms, as I said, and also um, other um, technologies as well, as well as email and things like that. So um, it is uh, it is a, what we used to call a data scripting technology that enables you to create a script to emulate what a person would do, interacting, clicking buttons. Uh, making decisions, manipulating data to get a process done. Um, and of course, there's videos of it on our website, uh, enablesoft.com. But um, it is um, th- our place in the market that's becoming very busy uh, over the next uh, five years or so, growing to, I think, multi-billion dollar industry, according to the analyst. Um, our, we're kind of a smartphone of RPA. You don't have to have a big IT effort or a bunch of rocket scientists to create automations. You can do them very quickly out of the box, very intuitively, but yet it is industrial strength technology and used by you know, very large companies as well as well, yeah, middle, and middle market and small companies. 
Yeah, and and I guess that's a you know that's a good place to kind of dig into this. I mean, how would someone go about implementing your technology? Is this something that you know uh, a couple of workers are going to have to go away to like summer camp to learn how to use it? Is this you know does it come with a manual? Uh, is this for the IT department or the sales department or you know uh, or the CEO? I mean, uh, talk about a company that currently uses maybe nothing, you know, maybe the good old fashioned method, and then they want to start using, uh, let's say, Foxtrot. How would one go about that? Yeah. We always counsel companies to find some low-hanging fruit in terms of an opportunity to solve a automation issue. Say for something, for example, like a lumber company I could think of that was having an invoice, you know, having friction in their invoice um, handling process and identify the steps that they're doing, what the, what the knowledge worker is doing to automate that, get them laid out. And then um, with our technology, once you have uh, access to the licenses, we, we can give you, you know, our, we, have, we provided a two-hour web session, and some people don't even need this if they, if they read the help file and get started playing with it. They they can actually be off and running and begin to automate things in a matter of hours and, and days, not weeks and months. And you know, find something that's simple that can have a nice visibility in the company, a good return on investment if it works. Automate that, you know, and you don't have to know every everything that you need to think through before you get started. It's obvious kind of like how you create the story of the automation, what to do next. There's audit, there's audit trails, there's a way to log what goes on, there's ways to stop and have a human interact if, if uh, there's, a, there's an exception that comes up or those could be logged or emailed or text to somebody. Uh, depends on who needs to know and how fast they need to know or can somebody look at the, the exception the next day and um, fix it manually or alter the process. So, it gets started early, fast, find low-hanging fruit, and then build advocates within your organization to for uh, you know liberating people to 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 focus on other problems that machines can't handle. Right. And so uh, I, for anyone out there watching the video portion right now, we are showing the product demo on your website. Very, very cool. Uh, though I will say that a lot of it seems to be, you know, kind of uh, obviously automation. A lot of it is macros and things like that. Um, you know, obviously, if someone has to send the same email out every single day, just change one little thing. This is going to do that job very, very well. Uh, but I, I have to ask you a lot of companies that have come on the show lately, they're all really excited and probably overselling it to some degree, the idea of not just automation and scripts and macros, but even beyond that, uh, artificial intelligence, AI, uh, you know, machine learning, whatever you want to call it. The idea that you, you know, these things aren't just, you know, click this pixel on the screen, you know, uh, copy and paste this thing from the clipboard. It's, it's going beyond that. It's actually being intuitive. It can understand, uh, you know, kind of basic human input. Um, automation's great. How is automation, I'd say, you know, over the last couple of years or, you know, into the next couple of years, how is automation changing for, you know, for you? Well, Ben, it really hadn't changed a lot. And here's, <laughs> here's kind of 
there's kind of like the 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 spoiler alert. Uh, there's not a lot of real artificial intelligence and automation out there today. I, I, it's coming, mm-hmm. but here's here's why here's why there isn't. There's a lot of hype. Um, is that um, our AI involves you know things that uh, involve things like cognitive and natural language processing, um, and um, th- that requires a lot of data and a lot of test cases to prove. And th- the thing that's moving the needle in business and productivity is our our, our rule based problems involving structured data so don't uh, nobody's really taking and in, in taking automation technology and processing unstructured emails you know that the, the machine has to figure out who's saying what and what they need to do with it um, that's because there simply hasn't been there's not a lot of joint test data and there's and there's not a lot of proof to to back up what the what the black box did, right, and then justify it to regulators. That's coming. I believe that's coming, but there's a long way to go. There's going to have and, to be a way for a lot of data to be aggregated to to do that. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, just I think even last week we interviewed a company. Uh, uh, I believe it was uh, Itaquote, who actually like they're trying to tackle that by saying. Here's a program that will let you input data. The data will then be stored in a usable format for the AI. Essentially, it's it's feeding very succinct, very orderly data into AI, which at this point is just automation, um, and it, it, it's allowing that you know that very structured data to then be used in some kind of meaningful way. It seems like what you're saying is that you know until we find a way to you know instead of humans inputting that data to be structured and then used. Until we find a way that you know that part becomes automated, AI really isn't going to take off. And like you said, it's coming, but we're just not quite there yet. Yeah. Um, well, it, the World Economic Forum has a slide that says there's going to be 15.7 trillion dollars of GDP growth between here in 2030 worldwide. Forty percent of that is going to be due to productivity increases due to artificial intelligence mm. but but what's what's driving artificial intelligence right now is robotics um, and that's going to help get the data cleaned up the, right. the data is not generally available or clean or easily accessible today uh, because there's a lot of hands in it um, and organizations are not able to share uh, you know uh, Data, say, say an industry decides they want to have, um, you know, want automate risk management or, or or fraud identification. Well, they're gonna people are gonna have to figure out how to share and use anal and come up with generally accepted practices for what AI does. Because you know, in regulated industries or places where you have to be accountable to customers, et cetera, you're gonna have to justify why, why the decisions are made at some point. And so. Um, it's going to it's going to have an impact it's going to be a process but automation and and, and robotic process automation is a, is a big part of it
completely today. Yeah. yeah, completely understand. So, and and earlier in the segment, you named a couple of industries that have really benefited from you know the technology that you're providing. Uh, banking makes a very you know was a very obvious one, and uh, you know I think things like healthcare, obviously, uh, you know same same kind of deal. What other industries besides banking, healthcare, do you see really benefiting from you know from this kind of product that you have? Well, as I mentioned, there's another dozen industries. We have uh, law firms, uh, retailers, um, nonprofits, um, anybody that has you know uh, data to handle in their business process. Well, that's just about everybody. <laughs> And uh, there's, you know, places where people are manually handling things. For example, a, um, a nonprofit team uh, feeding children everywhere. They they needed to get this um, uh, donor information automated into their system so they could run run their process and get the right amount of food to the right places. And somebody was sitting there keying this stuff in. Uh, we we helped them out with an uh, automation process with the Foxtrot RPA, and uh, they're they're feeding feeding more children faster. Um, Very cool. So, uh, really, uh, no limits to who could use it, and it's just a question of getting knowing it's available and and uh, and bulletproof as as much as you create the scripts correctly and uh, applying it uh, yeah and uh, and obviously you know again poking around your website you have everything from you know kind of who we serve to kind of case studies uh, speaking of case studies is there you know that was a great one with the you know with the food bank and food services uh, great story do you have any others that really you know like you kind of came in they said no way that wasn't possible and then you're like hey check this out and in a couple you know and you really kind of helped them yeah, well, uh, a lot of times the the kind of the IT upside of the house will say, "No, nah, that's uh, that's not going to be um, work well," and there's going to be this problem, that problem, and the, the cases where operations has gone have gone ahead and brought it in, mm-hmm. um, and then proved it at work. IT comes to them and say, uh, "says Okay, can we we want to use that too?" Um, because you know, IT. I'm not demeaning IT. They have a big job to do, but their project, their horizons are real long. Uh, and because developing software is is a big job, and 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 changing um, uh, mission critical systems is a big job. And they should protect it. And they should protect the data. But business, uh, the speed of business is a different speed. And robotics enables the to come the the business to go a little faster, closer to the speed of business, and to and and since everything through robotics is going through these systems that that make sure the data is 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 what it's supposed to be and enforces the business rules, it's a it's a safe, accountable way of doing it. Right. And, um, uh, let's see. Well, and, and well, I mean, if you, if you don't mind, we can also switch up a little bit here. Uh, this is another conversation that I, I think it's 
it's come up a couple times so far here here on the show uh, while we were talking, but also you know we had uh, an author of a book. I want to say it was uh, you know the coming of the fourth age, uh, and it had to do with automation and what people are going to do after uh, you know after automation. And he painted a really rosy picture that you know the the jobs that are going to be automated away are not exactly the jobs that we're going to want to keep just for the sake of keeping you know it, it's like you said i don't think anyone uh wants to be data entry that is such a mind-numbing job and trust me i've done it where you know it's a very mind mind mind-numbing thankless job and it can easily be automated so my question to you, uh, you know, I'm not asking you to, you know, kind of foresee the entire future of automation, but as far as your software goes, have you seen reductions in workforce when you come in and, you know, kind of introduce, uh, you know, and introduce Foxtrot or are those people shifted to, you know, like you said, more human things? Uh, I guess at the end of the day, are you making, you know, are, are you reducing the amount of jobs, you know, when you, you know, kind of enter a company? Yeah, Ben. We, you know, I get that that question a lot. Um, I haven't seen it in any great scale. What I've seen is uh, I've seen uh, companies that became uh, more profitable through attrition. You know, they just don't replace people. I've seen companies able to scale without uh, doubling and tripling their their workforce, uh, which which ultimately creates more jobs. And um, we're just, you know, it's just not, I'm just not seeing where somebody implements technology and, oh, we're just going to um, slice a bunch of people off of our payroll. It just, just doesn't happen um, that, I, that I'm aware of. And um, it's kind of like, um, you know, we said computers would eliminate paper. How, mu- how much paper is gone? There's still, <laughs> there's still a lot of paper. There's still going to be a lot of people doing making businesses run it's just they're going to be using different tools right right and and that's certainly something that we've seen but uh and and there's a whole economic side to that conversation that i probably am nowhere near qualified to talk about but it's very cool that you know just your firsthand experience shows that just because someone you know maybe what they spend four hours out of their eight hour workday doing is now being automated that doesn't mean that they you know reduce workforce but rather hey they can do something else for for four hours and that's uh, you know, and that's going to help the company grow. And that's definitely something you like to see. So, uh, if you don't mind, if you're looking at the website, you have a couple different solutions. Like you said, Foxtrot is the only software that you offer, but you also have two more here. If you could kind of, you know, kind of run us through those and how they relate to Foxtrot, uh, Foxbot and Foxhub, H-U-B. Uh, what are those? And, uh, I, I'm assuming that they tie in with Foxtrot. Yes, thanks for asking that. So, uh, Foxbot are the kind of runtime licenses there that uh, that you can take and uh, apply to a job to, to get more done in a in a in a, in the same period of time. Um, and the the Fox Hub is the control panel that can manage the the Fox Trot and Fox bot licenses. Now the Foxtrot are the full license that can author and also run scripts. So um, you could literally have um, you know a, a bot farm of, of hundreds of bots and uh, you've got you know whatever pile of work needs to be done those bots will go and work off that 
pile of work until they're finished and then go work off the next pile of work. And the, the Fox Hub allows that to be managed. You can get, everything's visible. You can see. You can have a um, uh, full insight as to which bots did what and how long it took and what they got done. Um, but that, those are the differences. It's all the same technology. It's the Fox Trot and the Fox Hub are the um, the ways that that is deployed. Right. No. And and thanks for clearing that up. So we have a couple more minutes here, and I'm going to uh, you know let you kind of uh, think about the future and what you have for EnableSoft and what you're hoping to push out. Uh, just in, in again, just in a few minutes. Talk about how you see your product growing, because obviously, what you put out in you know in uh, you know in the mid '90s, uh, that may still work to some degree here, you know, in the here and now. But like you said, there's a lot of productivity to make up for between now and 2030, as the analysts are you know kind of hoping for. Uh, what's next for you? Is it you know kind of real AI or yeah? Go ahead. Yeah, cer certainly uh, real AI will start to become a piece of the solution. Um, I see us as a, as a, um, a alliance partner for AI solutions to help drive it into business and enable it and to help manage and, and make the data um, available for those solutions to work well. Um, but, you know, we spent most of the 23 years uh, trying to educate the market that this was available and that, that the, the things you could do. With this big RPA movement, we're getting a lot of help with that. So um, I think there, there's, a, there's a wave to be ridden and a part for us to play in, especially the middle market and the people that want to get started fast and don't want to have a big IT three-year project to, with a bunch of consultants to get it to get it done. Get automation done. I think we we've got a big role in that. I think we got a big role in um, stewarding this uh, artificial intelligence uh, movement, uh, real AI, into the process in a safe, uh, useful way um, through alliances and through uh, probably some R and D on our, our end. And um, you know, it's really hard to look out much further in any any business or industry more than say three to five years, but uh, I do. I, I see. A, you know, a lot of um, things changing, but a lot of things staying the same. Well, uh, hey, yeah, and and again, that's not uh, that's not the worst thing in the world. So, uh, with that, Richard, I'll uh, I'll you know kind of ask you this one last thing. If people want to find out more, uh, where can they go? What's the best place to find more information about uh, about EnableSoft? EnableSoft.com is uh, our website, and. You're welcome to email me at rmylum at enablesoft.com, and um, we'll be happy to point you in the, in the right direction to get you uh, the information you need to take the next right step. All right, perfect. And, uh, and of course, we'll have a link to that in the show notes if anyone wants to go check it out at computeramerica.com right there on the homepage. And I will say, Richard, uh, this is honestly this is honestly a part, you know, we, we talk a lot about uh, technology here. We don't get to talk about this a lot. So it was a privilege to talk to you. Thank you for explaining this. And uh, yeah, and can't wait to talk to you again. Yeah, same here, Ben. Really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. All right. Have a great one. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. All right, everyone, and the music means we're about to take a break. Everyone stay tuned. More Computer America right after this with Computer and Technology News.
Greece is cheap. But the airfare costs a fortune. Paris? Not much closer. And again, airfare... What about Puerto Vallarta? Let's face it, flying anywhere is just too expensive. Wait, what's this? Low-cost airlines. With one call to low-cost airlines, you'll drastically slash your travel costs. We're talking insanely low airline prices to any of your favorite destinations. Where would you like to go? London, Rome, Costa Rica, Australia? Wow, that's cheap. So why wait? Call now to learn how crazy cheap it is to fly anywhere in the U.S. or international. Our prices are so low, we can't publish them. The only way to get them is to call to instantly hear the most amazing best deals on airline travel. It's that easy. So call now and start packing. 800-215-4461. 800-215-4461. That's 800-215-4461. We are all Brother Wolf. Ten years ago, a group of locals banded together to create positive change. We took animals into our homes, held adoption events at local retailers, and talked to the community about our mission to help build a no-kill Asheville. A decade later, we have achieved so many victories for animals in need. There's been so much progress, yet there's still so much to do. As part of our year-long celebration, we encourage you to become a member of our special Compassionate Circle program. With a monthly donation of $10 or more, you will have behind-the-scenes access to the work we are doing at Brother Wolf. Our goal is to reach 1,000 members because we receive no government funding. Working together, we can help build and sustain no-kill communities. Learn more at CompassionateCircle.BWAR.org. We are a 501c3 tax-deductible organization. And welcome back to the Computer America Show. It is, oh, 32 minutes past the hour as we continue on here. And yeah, we are, uh, actually, we just finished up talking with our guest today, who, of course, was Foxtrot and Ablesoft. And yeah, we talked all about automation. And honestly, you know, here behind the scenes at Computer America, we do some automation. We, uh, you know, we unfortunately don't use Foxtrot. But I will say that, you know, a lot of places, like even, even smaller uh, operations could honestly benefit a lot from automation. It's a it's a beautiful thing. It's a huge time saver, and it's uh, you know it it really does help. So very cool to be able to talk to them. And again, big thanks for them to coming on the program. So as we continue on, though, we will be doing computer and technology news. So why don't we go ahead and get started because there are a lot of things to go over and very little time to actually do them. So here we go. Computer and technology news. So for today. Today's stories, why don't we go ahead and get started with, uh, let's pull some of them up here. Let's go ahead and get started with uh, with NVIDIA. So we're going to start with this story, but we're also going to kind of branch it out into uh, into their new graphics cards, which we kind of tease on Friday because, you know, uh, details were leaked and we like, uh, and we are very impatient. But it finally happened and yeah, NVIDIA went live earlier today 
to talk about their latest 20 series of graphics cards. So this is, and uh, yes, this is an iteration upon the 1080s or the 1070s. And the next generation will be known as the 20s. So for everyone out there hoping it was, it was going to be 11s, uh, no, you're wrong. So uh, the first story we're going to do is kind of tangential to that. And then we will go ahead and get into just the specs of the new graphics cards. But I like this one because it's very interesting. Obviously, cryptocurrency, crypto mining has been uh, a hot button topic for the past oh year or so, ever since Bitcoin really blew up. But looks like it's uh, the fervor is starting to die down. The the gold rush is starting to uh, you know enter its long long tail of a series, and Nvidia made that perfectly clear because. Uh, this is an article from Motherboard saying that the world's biggest GPU maker no longer expects to make money on cryptocurrency mining, which was, you know, again, if you asked, if you asked the uh, NVIDIA 10, uh, I'm sorry, about six months ago, they would have said something very different. Like that was going to be their new biggest portion of their, of their growing revenue. So this is, again, Motherboard talking about selling GPUs for cryptocurrency mining accounted for 10% of NVIDIA's revenue only a few months ago. Now the company is, isn't is factoring into its revenue stream at all. So, yeah, let's go ahead and get into the article. And, you know, we're going to touch on this. But they're saying that uh, obviously NVIDIA saw their stock tumble on Thursday on the release of its second quarter's report earning, which revealed that the company had overestimated its GPU sales by about $82 million, $82 million, if you didn't catch that. And they said that the reason was because no one was building cryptocurrency miners anymore. And for all of you out there who do not know what a cryptocurrency miner are, like you lived under a rock and you were able to weather the storm of cryptocurrency, here's the thing. People were building machines specifically to mine cryptocurrency, essentially run these useless equations to prove and to power the blockchain for, in a lot of cases, uh, Ethereum or, uh, you know, or to a lesser extent, Bitcoin or some of these other cheaper cryptocurrencies. They were using it to run these useless equations that prove that they actually did the work and then they would credit out portions of the cryptocurrency. And people would build machines to specifically run those and try to be as efficient as possible, as powerful as possible, so that they could run through more equations, more computations, and they would be rewarded more money. For a number of months there, as cryptocurrency was peaking, uh, yeah, you know, even cheap graphics cards, even graphics cards that were, you know, maybe two hundred dollars, over, you know, over the lifetime of them, you could see, uh, you know, or at least over a year, cryptocurrency could net you two or three times that. So think about it this way: every time you purchase a graphics card, regardless of how much it costs you, you still made two or three times as much. On the graphics card as you would uh, you know spent on it so it, it was a bit of an investment and Nvidia saw a lot of sales being driven uh, you know by that 
So, well, that all died down. Cryptocurrency took a bit of a nosedive, and so it was no longer profitable. You no longer saw those returns on investment, and people stopped building machines specifically to do this. Now, what that means is that the company is expecting a decline in GPU sales and the cryptocurrency-specific products from a peak of about $300 million last quarter to about $100 million this quarter, the actual revenue from its crypto-specific products ended up being a mere $18 million. Not, uh, yeah, you know, revenue, not half bad, but uh, also not the growth vector. I, and, and really, that was the big thing, you know, the, the uh, so obviously the stocks, you know, the investors were hoping that this was going to be their new avenue of growth. And it didn't exactly fall, you know, it didn't lose them money, but it's not growing. And that's the big part. In fact, it decreased by about 93% in just three months. So all in all, it was a profitable venture, but it will no longer be uh, as such. And they won't even factor it into anything anymore. So they said that uh, it's too early to say whether this drop in GPU sales signals a larger decline in the relevance of cryptocurrencies or simply reflects changing technology standards within the cryptocurrency space. For the foreseeable future, however, it seems NVIDIA is going to fully embrace the gamers come first promise. So that's where they're kind of angling back now because, you know, NVIDIA has a lot of goodwill with gamers. They make very, very cool graphics cards and very nice graphics cards. Not saying that AMD isn't competitive. It's just I think NVIDIA still has a bit of that uh, gamer goodwill going for it. So that's why people were so excited to hear about their new graphics cards that they debuted today. And pulling all this information from the actual website, from NVIDIA.com, they have put up the specs and the prices and, well, just everything about their three latest graphics cards. And the first one we're going to talk about is the most expensive. I mean, this thing is $1,200. Now, it's going to be on par with uh, your Titan XPs, your Titan Xs, Essentially, the graphics cards that were $1,100 before, well, they're right on the money. Uh, you know, the TI, as in titanium, well, I, I, I'm sorry, not, not that. Uh, TI, the GeForce RTX 2080 TI, if you're looking to Google this, that's their latest card, $1,200. Uh, obviously, this they're still shipping the Founders Edition. The Founders Edition uh, essentially means I think you get like a little uh, like a little card saying that this is one of the first ones ever made. Uh, you know, a bit of collectability thrown in there, and they're also like a hundred bucks more expensive than the uh, resulting non-Founders Edition cards. So when they drop, they're going to be about the same price on the money as the Titan XP. And as far as the uh, as far as the specs that go for it, they look amazing. I mean, th this is I think it's a little disingenuous for companies to say this is the fastest uh, graphics cards they have ever been. It's like you know, obviously every year they're going to have faster graphics cards. They don't uh, they don't slow them down on purpose and then push them out to the market. So they're the fastest, but 
they're a decent increase worth more than my car. Yeah, no, worth more than a lot of people's cars. Uh, I'm sure my blue book isn't, uh, isn't, you know, anywhere near one or two of these things, but, uh, yeah, it's impressive. So yeah, you can see some of the specs here and one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest things that they're touting with this isn't so much the architecture. You know, we've seen the Turing arch arch architecture before. There we go. Hard to say that. We've seen the technology before in other graphics cards. We've seen uh, a lot of what they were able to do in the 10 series of cards. But it's more optimized now. And this is something that we discussed with Darius Derekshani on some of our other shows. But real-time ray tracing. And that's fancy talk for lighting. It's going to have amazing lighting where if something happens in the game, and again, these things are definitely designed for gamers, if something happens in the game, if something is, a, you know, let's say an explosion, a source of light, uh, you know, any, anything that you would expect light to behave a certain way, these graphics cards are touting a much better better uh, performance in that area where it's going to be able to real-time ray trace these things and it's going to look better because if you think about a video game right now let's say a wooden table uh, right now in video games if a wooden table is a wooden table the texture overlaid on that object looks like that texture forever and forever more you know you may punch it you may you know put a bullet hole in it whatever uh but those are even skins beyond that being applied to the base table real-time ray tracing though is if you open up the front door and you let light in through that it's going to light up everything in the room including the door and it's going to look differently it's not just going to uh, you know, it's not just going to light up the room to a certain extent, but it's going to be as if actual light were to fill that area. That's something that, that's what separates in a lot of cases, gameplay from rendered cinematics. It's something that you could not do beforehand. You just didn't have the graphical oomph to really be able to do that in real time. But with the 2080 RTX graphics cards from NVIDIA, that's what they're promising. They're promising some of the best and fastest technology. So obviously, you're going to be able to do that on the TI, again, the titanium. You see the, uh, you know, you see the specs here, and they even compare it to the GeForce 1080 TI, where you know, a little bit faster clock speed, uh, a little bit better RAM instead of G GDDR5X, they have GDDR6. So a next generation RAM put into it, even if it's still 11 gigs. Uh, and on top of that, uh, a little bit faster RAM speed or memory speed uh, going from 11 to 14. It's pretty darn good. And but will it run Crisis? Of course, the old meme. Yes, this thing would undoubtedly be able to run Crisis. It's it it's one of the it's one of if not the fastest cards Nvidia has ever put out, and it's going to be on par with uh, you know with the Titan XP. It's a little bit faster, but again, you're paying for the privilege. It's twelve hundred dollars for the Founders Edition. So not to you know, kind of rehash everything I just said there for the other two, but you have the RTX 2080. So note, 
the knots, uh, you know, no TI in this. It's uh, one step down, but obviously still very, very capable and just has, let's see, I think, um, man, I, I, I think that's as far as specs go. It's only a little bit slow, or it's only a little bit slower in clock speed, but overall, you know, for let's see, this this thing is selling for eight hundred dollars. If money were a concern, the twenty eighty is a completely viable option. If money is no object, if you have more money than common sense, go ahead and go for the TI. But if money is somewhat of a concern, an eight hundred dollar graphics card will you know, will run perfectly. And then there's, of course, the 2070 that they unveiled, 600 bucks, also available. Like, the the GeForce RTX 2070 is going to be better than almost, like, maybe other than the GTX uh, 1080 Ti, which itself is, you know, $600. Uh, it's probably a little bit better than anything else currently on the lineup that isn't a Titan. Very, very cool. Cool to see their, uh, you know, kind of their founder editions. Again, those prices are going to go down after the founder's editions go away. But um, yeah, as far as what NVIDIA has showed off here uh, today during their keynote, very, very, very impressive. The prices, uh, they are showing and, you know, kind of an overarching increase. And I don't think that's because NVIDIA is you know, putting the screws to the consumer. I think it's more to the fact that people are comfortable demanding more of a graphics card. They are playing more games. They're playing more graphic intensive games. They're, you know, ha they have multiple monitors as opposed to just a single monitor to run off of them. Uh, people are demanding more of graphics cards. And so NVIDIA is making better graphics cards and they're charging more for them. So that doesn't mean that graphics cards in general are going up. It just means that, well, you know, hey, the technology is getting better. So the price has to reflect that. Uh, you know, the more budget line, I'm sure, of the 2060 and 2070s will be unveiled here before the holidays. But the latest and greatest looks really great and uh, very, very cool to see. So, okay. There's NVIDIA, enough talking about them. We spent uh, Tuesday talking about them as well as, uh, let's see, yeah, uh, I'm sorry, we spent Friday talking about them as well as a good portion of today. Let's go ahead and switch things over to a couple of other stories and, uh, <laughs> all right, how about this one? So Huawei, not exactly the most common cell phone maker on the market here in America, but hey, still like to talk about them from time to time especially when they, well, when they're a little duplicitous. So this happened, uh, I think, sometime over the past couple of weeks, and Huawei gets caught faking DSLR shots as smartphone pictures in a commercial. So their very obvious defense has to go with the fact that, you know, they didn't strictly say that the photos in the commercial were taken with the smartphone, but obviously that was heavily implied. So this is coming to us from The Verge and uh, yeah, smartphone cameras are better than ever, but sometimes there's just no substitute for full-size DSLR. And unfortunately it seems, well, Huawei thinks so too. 
and a shot in the company's latest commercial for its new Nova 3 smartphone has been revealed by a behind-the-scenes photo to be a DSLR and not the smartphone that the ad alleges. And they even have the video up here. We're going to go ahead and, uh, yeah, hey, we're going to show an ad that we're not being paid for. But, yeah, you can kind of see the ad there, and you can see about halfway through the ad, it's, uh, and that's the shot right there, about halfway through the ad, a bickering couple take a selfie together, apparently to show off the new AI and camera tech, so that the woman doesn't need to put on makeup, uh, but a since-deleted Instagram picture, and you can see that picture here as well, shows that behind the scenes, actually, it's, uh, yeah, it's that photo right there. So, you know, it looked a certain way, and then, obviously, they have the photo kind of describing that, you know, the woman does ha- doesn't have to put on makeup, it's, uh, you know, kind of skin tone correction kind of deal, uh, blemish removal, that kind of thing, smooths, thing, smooths her features out. Uh, yeah, all that being done with a DSLR and Photoshop after the fact, undoubtedly. So they said in, in Huawei's defense, the ad never outright claimed that the picture was shot on the Nova 3. And as Android Police points out, this isn't exactly Huawei's first misstep. Where, of course, if you remember the P8, yeah, they, they, uh, they, were, they were really hyping up the design of the P8. And then the P8 actually came out and the phone that the CEO was holding in his hand was very different, was very different than what they had initially uh, advertised, i.e. larger bezel, uh, you know, different screen, that kind of thing. Yeah, they uh, they were definitely a little bit, uh, oh, I don't know, didn't feel like coming straight out and telling and showing out the product, which is crazy because... Uh, it has some of the best specs a smartphone can have. Like it's a very, very, uh, it's a very capable phone. It's just, I guess, as far as advertising, they wanted to to look even better than what their phone was capable of, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But hey, what do I know? So they said it'd be nice if Huawei would stick to advertising its phone based on the strength of what it can actually do. And instead of hiding its capabilities behind smoke and mirrors. So, yeah, this is probably more an indictment on the... uh, This is more of an indictment on the advertising arm of Huawei than their actual phones. But truth in advertising, you, you hope you'd see it. But whatever. All right. We have time for this one, maybe one more. But I really wanted to get this one in because... This next story affects anyone who uses Google. That's right. So it affects everyone, pretty much. So a man is suing over Google's location history fiasco, and the case could affect millions. And uh, this is by Ars Technica, saying that if location history was off, Google said it didn't keep the data, but that's not true. So... (laughs) Time and time again, we're seeing that uh, data, as far as who owns the data, uh, despite what the EU is doing with uh, consumer protections and data, not a lot of companies are willing to just throw away good data. Even, you know, regardless of how they collected it and who it's of, 
they're really not in the business of destroying data. They're in the business of keeping data. So Google is facing a, a new scrutiny in the wake of revelations that it stores users' location data even when location history is turned off. Yeah. So last Friday, Google quietly edited its description of the practice on its own website and saying uh, to clarify that some location data may be saved as part of your activity on other surfaces like search and maps. So yeah, that was the story that we didn't cover. They were caught. Uh, you know, they were found out that they were keeping data after they were, you know, after people said, don't track my location, they were still keeping that in the bowels of Google's data centers. And instead of saying, oh, you're right, we're sorry, we overlooked that, uh, you know, we're going to delete all this data, we're going to make this right. Instead of doing that, they went into their terms of service and they edited out the part that said that we would never do that. Instead put in, oh, well, we probably are going to do that. And, and we totally did that. So as a result of the previously unknown practice, they said that uh, Google is now being sued by a person in San Diego and simultaneously activists in Washington DC are urging the, the FTC to examine whether the company is in breach of its 2011 consent decree. So the lawsuit, which was filed in the federal court on Friday in San Francisco, attorneys representing uh, a man named Napoleon, uh, let's just call him Napoleon, argued that Google is violating the California Invasion of Privacy Act and the state constitution's uh, constitutional right to privacy. So the lawsuit seeks class action status and would include both an Android case and an iPhone class for the potential millions of people in the United States who had turned off location history and were nevertheless tracked and recorded by Google. So obviously it will take months or longer for the judge to determine whether there is a sufficient class. But yeah, if you have used Google and anything location-based, and you try to go into the settings and try to make sure that uh, you know you were giving away as little information as you hoped. Well, you are probably going to be in uh, you know a claimant in this lawsuit. So because it's class action, you can bet it's going to cost Google hundreds of millions, if not billions, of dollars, and you will receive uh, five dollars of Google Play credit. So good luck with that. But either way, and uh, yeah, hey, we'll see what we'll see what Google does. But again, Google's not in the business of deleting data. Google is in the business of collecting and saving your data. Okay, time for just one more short story. Really don't have time to get into Venezuela or Egypt. Really wanted to talk about those maybe tomorrow if we have time. Let's instead talk about. Okay, how about this one? I like useless statistics. They are fun and, uh, you know, I don't think they're really going to change anything just knowing them. So instead, let's just go ahead and talk about The Verge and this, uh, this headline really caught my attention saying that women are 79% more likely to spend money on mobile games. And I got to say, ladies... 
hey, you know, spend money on what you enjoy. If it brings you happiness, perfect. That's great. Um, but man, you are about to get targeted to all get out because they know now who is willing to spend money. So female users are 79% more likely than male users to make an in-app purchase on mobile games. And they said that the marketing firm, it studies the mobile gaming market, and this was released today. So female users purchase in-app content 16.7% of the time after installing an app, and the report encourages app developers to focus on this segment of the market in the future. Obviously, uh, if you're looking to make money, you try to target your product to to those who are willing to spend money. And the report states that although it takes about 18 cents more to make an app appealing for a female user to install than a male user, I don't even know what what that means, 18 cents more. Either way, it says a closer examination of conversion rates reveals females are in fact the most valuable gamers. So the data was collected from 350 apps over the past year and the females users in-app purchase had nearly doubled. So, yeah, we're going to go ahead and leave it off there. But uh, to all you lady gamers out there, uh, congratulations. You're about to see a lot more apps that are appealing directly to you. Because, well, you are, uh, yeah, power of the almighty dollar. So, everyone out there, thank you for joining us here on Computer America. It's been a lot of fun. And, hey, be sure to tune in. Yeah, and be sure to tune in next uh, next program as we have on. Let's pull up the calendar and get it directly from there. Tomorrow, we have a company called AdMix joining us here on the show. And we're going to be talking all about what they do. It's VR, AR, and uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So everyone, be good, be kind, be safe. And tune in Monday through Friday, 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern on Computer America. So... Yeah, everyone, have a great day. Catch you then. Bye-bye. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 